Last week, I talked about faith uh, that amazes Jesus, faith that amazes Jesus. And I talked about faith particularly uh, pertaining to healing. And uh, today I want to talk about faith that is long lasting, faith that lasts a lifetime. I want to talk about a marathon faith, developing a marathon style faith. What is a marathon faith? A marathon faith is a trust in God's goodness despite the circumstances. It's despite what's going on around us. We choose to trust God and his goodness. We choose to trust him no matter what's happening. And it's a faith that takes us all the way to the finish line. A faith that takes us all the way to the end. A marathon faith knows that trouble is going to come in life. But it's asking, it's asking God. Marathon faith is a faith that asks the Holy Spirit for peace and for preparation in every circumstance in life. And it's, a, it's contrasted with a sprinting faith. I think uh, many people are saved into a sprinting faith, and they're along for the ride until trouble comes. They're along for the ride until something is opposing that faith, and they thought that they were getting into the faith because it was going to be easy, and Jesus was going to make their life easier. And I'm sorry to say that's just not what Jesus promises in his word. He promises that if you pick up your cross and you follow him and you choose to make Jesus the Lord of your life, that you're going to encounter trouble in life, and it's going to come. But we develop a marathon type of faith. Well, where is this language coming from that I'm getting with marathon faith? I'm, I'm taking it from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 24 through 27. Now, the context of this verse is uh, Paul, who wrote the book of Corinthians. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And um, he's, he's in this chapter, he's writing about uh, his evangelistic strategy. And he's telling the Corinthians that I become all things to all people. For the Jew, I become a Jew. For the Gentile, I become a Gentile. See, Paul is saying, I will do, I will do absolutely anything short of sin to get people to follow Jesus. That's how focused, that's how disciplined Paul is. That's how passionate he is about telling people about Jesus. And then he closes the chapter with this in verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The games that he's referring to, how many of you know that the Olympics were around in Paul's time? That's something that we share with our ancient uh, brothers and sisters in Christ is we, uh, they watch the Olympics too. Not on TV, but, uh, you know, it was there. And he's referring to this, this, this athleticism, this lifestyle of discipline that when you're an athlete and you're competing in the, in the most important and the biggest games in the world, you put yourself under strict training and you discipline your body. And actually the city of Corinth had their own games that took place and it was just a little less popular than the Olympics. But Paul is, is talking to a crowd who would understand this concept of training and athleticism and going into the games. And then he says this, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. Other translations say I discipline my body. And I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is talking about an intentional life, intentional faith. He's talking about a disciplined life. He's talking about a training that doesn't involve 
you know, it's not like a training that you would, you would go through to run, to run a mile. No, this is like a, this is a type of training that you would do more like in preparation for an Ironman. And, you know, uh, my, my, my sister and my brother-in-law, brother-in-law are here this weekend. And a couple of years back, they, they competed in a half Ironman. And what was so impressive about this was that before they signed up for the iron, the half Ironman that they were about to do, my sister didn't even know how to swim. And, uh, you know, you're supposed to run, you're supposed to swim quite a ways when you're in a, an Ironman competition. She didn't even know how to swim. She could doggy paddle. But my sister, my sister, she would wake up at 5 a.m. and she would watch videos online, uh, showing her how to swim. And she disciplined her body and she prepared herself. She put herself under strict training so that she can compete in this half Ironman. And, and on the day of the race, my sister swam, was it over, over a mile in open water? So you swim, how long, how much? 1.2 miles in the open ocean, whereas before she couldn't swim at all. But that kind of training, it, it involves discipline, right? It involves waking up at 5 a.m. It involves learning to do something that your body couldn't do before. It's strict training. A few months later, my sister and I, we decided to hike uh, uh, this, this hike on Mount Hood. It's called Yoakum Ridge, and it was, uh, it's one of the most, as you can tell, I'm not really a runner type. Maybe you can tell. I don't really like to hike or run, but, but we heard my brother said that this was a cool hike and we saw some pictures and I decided, you know what, Breck and I were like, hey, let's do this together. And so we did this hike and, uh, and in the course of about 10 miles, you climb about 4,000 feet in elevation and, uh, it was one of the most difficult hikes I've ever done. And as we're climbing up, my sister and I were having good bonding time because we're going to spend the night once we get to the top. We brought a tent and we were going to kind of camp out at the top and it was just going to be kind of a day event. And my sister, she's just talking my ear off as we were going up this because she's got the stamina. She's got the energy. She's like, oh, it's just so good to spend this time with you, Blake. And how have you been? I'm just so glad that we can, we can, you know, do this together. And I'm just like, <sighs> give me a moment. I'm sorry, Brick, if I'm not saying much. I'm just trying to, trying to survive this hike. And I kid you not, I got to the top, and about the last quarter mile, we stopped for a break. And when you're, like, doing something like that, you're not supposed to stop because your body just stiffens up. We got about a quarter of a mile to go, and we stop, and we sit down, and I'm eating a granola bar. And I go to stand up, and my legs are like jelly. They just fall out from under me. And I literally, for the last quarter mile, I'm picking up my legs with my hands and then using I'm using my arms to kind of, like, push off. And I'm just looking like kind of just trying to get up the hill. My sister had developed this endurance, this stamina, whereas me, I just went up this hill cold turkey. And I didn't, I wasn't prepared for what was to come. And you know, I think that I've done this in my spiritual life at times. I think we do this in our spiritual life as we, we get saved into a sprinting faith and then, and, and we put our devotional life or we put our time with Jesus on the back burner. And we don't realize how important it is. We don't realize how strict of training it is. We don't realize what it's doing to our spirits to prepare us for something that's coming. And then in the moment of crisis, in the day of crisis, what do we do? We come sprinting to God, right? Jesus, I need you. Help me. But our faith isn't built up and our faith is weak because we haven't spent that time preparing with God. And so we develop this sprinting type of faith where we were stagnant for times and then we sprint to God and we stop and we're stagnant and we're called to be this to live this intentional, consistent life, this marathon type of faith. That is in it, not to not just to cross the finish line, but is in it to win the prize. What's the prize? We've talked about this before, but 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 the prize, you know, when you when you die and you go to heaven, Jesus isn't going to look at you 
You're going to stand before Jesus. He's not going to look at you and say, hey, Blake. He's not going to say this to me. Hey, Blake, how much money was in your bank account? Hey, Blake, how many people knew your name? How well known were you? How many friends did you have on Instagram? He's not going to ask me that. You know what Jesus is going to say? He's going to ask me, Blake, were you obedient to what I asked you to do? Did you do what I asked you to do? Were you the father that I asked you to be to your kids? Were you the husband that I asked you to be to your wife? Did you love others when I asked you to, even though you knew it was going to be hard? That's the prize, is to stand before your Lord and to be able to say, yes, I was obedient to your word. I was obedient. I did what you asked me to do. Amen. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you're going to be embraced. You're going to walk through those gates, and you're going to be embraced by all the people that you led to Jesus. That's the prize right there. And they're going to say, thank you. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. That's the prize that we're running after. See, many people, they get saved into a sprint. And over the years, the church, the church has been really good at creating environments that appeal to people's emotions. And they lead to impulsive decisions to say yes to Jesus without fully knowing the cost. Right? We get all wrapped up in these emotional encounters. And we say, just say yes to Jesus. And people come and they say yes. And you know what? I am all for emotional encounters with, encounters with Jesus. Those are, those are my mountaintop experiences. When I look back on my life, I can see just encounter after encounter that involved my emotions, that involved me weeping with Jesus, and that involved me getting just wrapped up in his presence. I'm all for having emotional encounters with Jesus. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But the, the, the point is this, is that when you make that emotional encounter, the, the end all be on, and you expect that that's what it's going to be like for the rest of your life, then you're wrong. How many of you remember the play, um, years ago, Hell's Bells and, or, was it? Hell's Bells and Heaven's Gates? Does anybody remember this play? I remember there's this play. Man, you, I can't believe it, nobody in this room. I thought I'm talking to this generation. Okay, here we go. Hell's Bells and Heaven Gate. I went to this play, and there's this play where, uh, they have the scene set up like heaven. It's like the, like the gates of heaven. And in the play, people die and they come and they walk in and they're like, what is this place? And they, they go and there's Peter at the gate and he flips open the book of life. And if, if their book, if their name is in the book of life, they open up the gates and the people walk into heaven. But if it's not, the stage turns red and the devil comes out on stage and he just drags the person off the stage into hell. And there's this one scene in particular where this father and the son, they're in a car accident and they die and they get to the heaven, heaven's gates and the son is walking around. He's probably like, you know, 19 years old. He's like, dad. What is this place? And, he, and the dad's like, son, it, it looks like heaven. And they see Peter, and Peter flips open the book, and he says, sir, your name is in the book of life. And the father goes, oh, praise God. And there he's about to walk in. He goes, but what about my son? And Peter opens up the book, and he goes, I'm sorry, son, but you, I'm sorry, sir, but your son's name is not in the book of life. And then lights turn red, and smoke fills the stage, and <laughs> All these demons come out and they drag the boy to hell and they see that the dad saved me, the son. That play literally scared the hell out of me, church. I got so scared when I watched this. I was like, I give my life to you, Jesus. It was like the sixth time I'd ever done it. And people, they, we've gotten really good at making these emotional encounters and just like, come on, we're going to bait and switch people into making a decision for Jesus, but they don't fully know the cost. Where Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, you pick up your cross and you die to yourself and you follow me. So 
let me ask you, am I the only one in this room who's ever been caught in the trap of a sprinting faith? Or so many people decide to follow Jesus, but they, just, they struggle developing that marathon faith. Has your faith ever been exhausted before? Or am I the only one? Has you, have you ever questioned God's goodness or his plan for your life? Or am I the only one? Have you ever felt like giving up? Perhaps you give your life to the Lord and in the same week your car breaks down right after you spent your savings on your home repair. And that's it. Jesus, your life was supposed to make my, you were supposed to make my life better when I said yes to you. Maybe you or a loved one received some bad news from the doctor. What do we do when it seems like God doesn't hear our prayers? How can we prepare to finish strong the race that he has placed before us and develop a marathon style faith? God has called, called us to be like Jesus, and Jesus was steadfast. He was consistent. He submitted his body. He submitted his will, his resources, his time, all to God. So how do we move past a sprinting faith and into this marathon-type faith? I think endurance is the difference, right, when, between a sprint and a marathon. Endurance, endurance, stamina is key. And fortunately, we're not the first people to ask this question And we've been given this incredible resource, the Bible, to help us develop a strong faith. And the 12 men who were closest to Jesus, they had to learn to move past a sprinting faith and develop a faith that would eventually spread the good news of Jesus across the globe. They had to develop a faith that was going to last for generations and generations ahead of them. And many of these men, they've contributed to the Bible and they share what they've learned with us. One of these men, his name is James, and he shares some of his wisdom of what he's learned with us. And in James chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, it says this, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James is saying, listen, you want to be mature and complete, needing nothing? You need your endurance to grow. How does your endurance grow? It's when your faith is tested. It's when trials come. It's when questions come. That's when your faith is tested. And that's how your endurance grows. And that's how you become mature and complete. And he goes on to say in verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood that test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you didn't already know this, I'm sorry to have to tell you that your faith will be tested. David was tested with the lion and the bear before he was put in front of Goliath. Abraham was tested when he was asked to sacrifice his son, and thankfully God spared his son. Nahum was tested when he was asked to dip himself seven times in the Jordan River to be cleansed from leprosy. And Jesus himself was tested by the Spirit when he was led into the wilderness and tempted by the devil who offered to give him fame and wealth. The testing of your faith produces endurance in your spirit. My family, we used to live on a house that had a pond in the backyard. And in 2008, there was this big snowstorm. Did, was there a lot of snow in 2008 here as well? Maybe, maybe you remember. We had a lot of snow. We were right on the, on the Columbia River Gorge, and we had this pond that froze over. And we wanted to ice skate on the pond because none of us had ever been ice skating. So we went to Goodwill, and we got a pair of ice skates for my sister. And she's the only one who could fit into the ice skates, so she's the only one who got to ice skate. But what, it, what we did is we had to test to see how strong the ice was before it broke. So you know what we did to test how strong the ice was? My dad and I, we got real smart. We tied a chain around my waist. And we, I, I made my way to the center of the pond with this big cinder block. 
And I just started smashing the cinder block on the ice just to see how strong the ice was. I know we're really smart. And, and you know what? Turns out the ice was like, it was like five inches, four or five inches thick. And that's all you need to drive a car on it, apparently. But you know, testing shows us how much we can take before we break. And for those who are still living a sprinting faith, it doesn't take much to break them. It doesn't take much to break a person who says yes to Jesus, thinking that now everything's going to be easier. But, but the cost of following Jesus is to die to yourself. It's to, to, to deny yourself. It's to pick up your cross and follow him. That's the cost. And so how many of you know that if you're already dead, if you've died to yourself, then then, then you, you can go anywhere he asks you to go. You can do anything he asks you to do because you've already given the ultimate price, right? You've already said yes to him. You've already, you've already died to yourself and now you're following Jesus. But those who have a marathon faith, they can take much more. I love the Apostle Paul as an example of this type of faith. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. This is crazy, by the way. I can't believe this is Paul's story, but this is what he says. Second Corinthians eleven twenty-three, He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times he was shipwrecked. He needs to find a new captain because that's crazy. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. (sighs) This is Paul's life. And we look at Paul as the model of that, man, that's what a true disciple of Jesus looks like. I want to be like Paul. Do you want to be like Paul? Because the the cost, the Paul, Paul was one of the greatest evangelists to have ever lived. He spread the gospel all throughout the known Gentile world. He contributed most of the New Testament that we have. And, and Paul's life was hard. Paul's life was hard, but he had this marathon faith. After the first shipwreck, I think most of us would say, you know what, forget it, I'm done. I served my time, and I nearly died. But Paul, he stuck it out. Hopefully you don't go through what Paul went through, but you you will encounter trials, and you will encounter tests nonetheless. To run a marathon, you need stamina, you need endurance. Endurance is the ability to keep going despite the pain you feel. How many of you have been to the gym after... A long time of not going to the gym and you start lifting weights and you start to feel that lactic acid build up and you're like, I want to stop right now. But endurance is the ability to say, I'm going to keep going despite the pain, despite my body telling me no, that's stamina. I find this so incredibly encouraging. In Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah is writing about God himself. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. God says this. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives strength to the weary. And to the one who lacks might, he increases power. 
Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. We serve a God who promises to renew our strength. Don't, don't get this confused, church. Don't think that you're, you're calling now, that, you're, that your life, your pursuit of Jesus is supposed to look like this weary traveler who's just barely crossing the finish line at the end, who just oh, is just out of breath and just kind of just falls down at the finish line and says, oh, I made it. I made it. No, God says, no, you're going to cross the finish line with all the stamina you could possibly have. You're going to cross the finish line with your head held high, full of strength, full of might, full of energy, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, because I'm the one who renews your strength. We, you, we don't have to live life thinking that we are constantly on the attack or on the, or excuse me, constantly on the defense from the enemy's attacks. We live life from a place of victory. We live life from a place of triumph and we cross the finish line with our head held high with God filling us with his strength. He knows the hardships that we face. Jesus has been through them all. He knows what betrayal feels like. He knows what it's like to be abandoned by people. He knows what it's like to be in need and to be hungry. He knows everything we could po- He knows what it's like to mourn, to lose somebody that he loves. Jesus has been there before, but he's promised to give us everything we need to win the prize. And that everything we need is all summed up in the person of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, God gives us the Holy Spirit to comfort us and to enrich our lives and to prepare us to, to win the prize. In Romans 5, verse 3 through 5, it says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, we, we just got done with a series for the last couple of months called The Ways of Jesus. And we looked at things like prayer and silence and solitude and fasting and, and, and the, the trustworthiness of the Bible, the power of the Bible. And apart from the ways of Jesus or those spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about, I want to offer to you five things this morning uh, that, that, that the fathers in the faith have encouraged believers to do so. When you read the Bible, these are the fathers in the faith. These are the people who walked alongside of Jesus, who, who've seen Jesus. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He, he encountered the person of Jesus. And the people who contributed to the Bible, they are all people who, have, who, are, who are fathers in the faith, who have encountered Jesus, and they have words of wisdom to give to us this morning. And so these, these are five things that I believe the fathers of the faith want us to develop in our lives in order to develop marathon faith. The first one is this, is to stay thankful. Stay thankful. Colossians 2, 5 through 7. It says, for though I am absent from you in the body. This is Paul writing to the church in uh, Colossae. It says, for though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. We're supposed to be overflowing with thankfulness. One of Paul's words to the Colossians was for them to stay strengthened in the faith. 
remaining true to the gospel of Jesus. Paul came to Colossae. He preached the the gospel of Jesus to them, and and they were supposed to stay true to the gospel. That's our modern-day version of stay true to, to God's word. We're supposed to stay true to God's word, but then he says this, and stay thankful. Be overflowing with thankfulness. Thankfulness is one of the most powerful tools in developing a marathon faith. It's easy to be thankful when things are going well, and it's a whole other thing to stay thankful during hard times. And when you read the Exodus story, you'll see there's this pattern that the Israelites live where uh, they go from, they go from uh, being on God's side and being thankful to, to grumbling and complaining. And we don't have any food. We don't have any water. We should go back to Egypt because at least we knew where our next meal was coming. And the Israelites then flip-flop back and forth. But every time the Israelites turned away from God, it was in conjunction with grumbling and complaining. And God would get frustrated with the Israelites. In fact, at one point, he says, I'm done with these people. Moses, I've had it. I'm just going to kill them in the desert. And Mo- I know it's shocking to hear that God said this, right? And Moses, what does he say? He said, God, don't do that because people would say that you brought people out of Egypt only to kill them in the desert. And God says, yeah, you're right. You're right, Moses. And he listened to Moses. But, but this grumbling and complaining, God, God doesn't want his people to complain and grumble. And to think, I wish I had this. I wish, I wish my, my cards were this. I wish I was dealt a better hand. I wish, I wish this. I look at this person's life and they have it so much better. And we begin to grumble and complain. And we forget about all the things that God has, has done in our life to be thankful for. Just like the Israelites said, they've been led out of captivity. They had seen the Red Sea part. They had seen God provide uh, miracle after miracle these, as these plagues went over Egypt. They saw all these moves of God, and yet they still complained, and they wanted more. And God was saying, "Why? I just want you to be thankful for what I've done for you, that the promised land is coming, you guys. We are on our way there right now. If you want to develop a marathon faith, then grumbling and complaining has to be replaced by gratitude. By thankfulness. What's there to be thankful about? What's there to be grateful for? Well, the Bible says that in Philippians 2, that though he was God, Jesus gave up his divine privileges and took the position of a slave by becoming a man. He died a criminal's death on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to spend eternity in darkness. Now, that's something that to, to be thankful for, isn't it, church? I think we get so caught up in the immediate. We get so caught up in what's happening right now. And we don't realize that if you were to span out our entire existence over this continuum, we get so focused on these these 80, 90, 100 years that we're living here on earth. We get so focused on this portion. But in, 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 in light of our existence throughout eternity, it's nothing but a little blip. And God says, do you not realize that I saved you so that your life can move beyond this? And into eternity with me. That this, the, the, the time that you have here on earth, the struggle that you face here on earth, the things that are coming at you, they're only temporary. They're going to, they're going to fade away. That he's promised us an eternity in his presence, an eternity free from sin, free from pain, free from death. That's something to be thankful for. We can live our lives in gratitude knowing I've been saved. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to choose to be grateful And every trial, because it produces faith, it produces endurance, perseverance. And that perseverance turns into hope. And hope doesn't disappoint me. Stay thankful. 
Second thing that we learn is in Matthew 6, I think we're called to be present, to stay in the moment. In Matthew 6, 31, it says this. Jesus says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough worry of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's saying, don't worry about what's coming tomorrow, but stay in today. Just focus on today. Be present today. God uses the current season of your life to prepare you for the next season. God is using what, you, what, what, what is in your life right now to prepare you for what's coming. You might not see it. You might be frustrated with it. Much like I am, I'm frustrated all the time with what God has in my life. But God uses those things to prepare me for the next season of life. Oftentimes we live wishing that we were in the next season already. But God's trying to teach us. He's trying to teach us something right now. It's, it, and, it, and it's continually giving us opportunities to grow. See, the process matters. The journey matters to God. My wife uh, loves to go on walks. Christina loves to go on walks. She's like, hey, let's go for a walk. And I get frustrated about walks because I don't like to just walk. I want a destination, right? I want to arrive somewhere. I want to know that we're going somewhere. But my wife, she just wants to walk around the block. And it frustrates me because I, I have a hard time just staying in the moment and enjoying my family, enjoying my wife, and just being there. I'm focused on the destination. I want to get somewhere. That's why if, if I go on a hike, I want to know that there's a view at the top. I want to know there's a lake that we're trying to get to. I want to know there's a campsite that I'm trying to make my way to. I don't want to just go hike. I don't want to just go walk. Who does that? Yeah, he does. But we're supposed to be present and understand that God has you in this place for a reason. He's preparing you for something else. Are you willing to trust him in the process? Because a marathon type of faith, a a faith that perseveres, a faith that makes it all the way to the end and wins the prize is the faith that says, God, I trust that what you have in my life right now, it's you. You're working in it and you're preparing me for something that's next, no matter how hard, how difficult it is. Number three is this. We need to get healthy. We talk a lot about spiritual health at church. We talk a lot about spiritual health, but if you want to develop a marathon faith, you've got to get emotionally healthy as well. Uh, Peter Scazzaro, he, he wrote the book, uh, the, um, why am I blanking on this name? Uh, a book about spiritual maturity, the emotionally healthy spirituality. That's what it is. He says this in his book, that it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. If your marriage is struggling, you, you, it will be difficult to develop a marathon-style faith until you address some of the things that are going on in your marriage. The same goes if you're in an addiction or you're dealing with uncontrollable anger. Whatever it is, we're, we're called to get emotionally healthy. And emotionally healthy needs to be a priority. Don't, you, don't treat your emotional health like the frogs of Egypt. What do I mean by that? In Exodus chapter 8, uh, Egypt was plagued with frogs in Exodus 8, and this is the interaction that happened between Pharaoh and Moses. This is kind of funny. Exodus 8, verse 9 through 10. Moses said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you set the time. Tell me when you want me to pray for you, your officials and your people, then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. Just say the word, Pharaoh. 
They will remain only in the Nile River. And Pharaoh says, oh, do it tomorrow. I'll do it. Just do it tomorrow. Moses says, just say the word. I, we'll get rid of the frogs. Just tell us when the people can go. And he goes, well, we'll just do it tomorrow. Pray, pray for us tomorrow. Don't postpone getting healthy. If you need to go to counseling, go to counseling. It's not a negative thing. It's not a bad thing to ask for help. It's not a bad thing to ask for assistance, for somebody to come alongside of you and help you figure out what it is going on that's going on inside of you. But we need to, we need to prioritize getting emotionally healthy as well because God not only saved your spirit, he saved you as a whole person, right? He saved your body. He saved your mind. He saved your emotions. He redeemed all of it. And we are supposed to offer ourselves to God as a whole person. As we're supposed to love the Lord our God not only with our strength, but with our mind, our souls, our hearts, with everything inside of us. We love God with every part of us. And so oftentimes that, that, that means that we, we ask God to come and to bring healing to every aspect of our life. Priorita- prioritize getting healthy. The fourth thing is we need to find community. Find community. You, you can't run a marathon faith apart from community. Apart from a family of faith, apart from brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to help you and pray for you and encourage you and challenge you. Ask yourself today, do I have people in my life that would know if I'm not doing okay? Because you won't always be okay. But it's okay not to always be okay. Here's another rhyme. It's okay to not be okay, but Jesus doesn't want you to stay that way. Somebody drop a beat. I'm going to keep going. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, 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 don't do it. Do you have people that will see that you're not doing okay and surround you with support? Finishing the race is dependent upon having people you can rely on when you fall. And community is difficult. Family is difficult. It's a hard thing. When you let people close, they see all of you. They see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they don't always agree with you. And you will even say things, they'll say things that might hurt you because they're people. But community is necessary. I think we're such an independent nation. We're such an independent people that, that oftentimes our thought process is, I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm going to, I don't need the church. I don't need other people in my life. I don't need brothers and sisters in Christ to have a relationship with God. I can do this on my own. So we develop this independent man, mentality. When from the very beginning, before creation was made, there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this trinity of people in relationship with one another before the beginning of creation creation relationship was there before time existed we were created for relationship you were you were created for relationship with each other you were created for relationship with god relationship is in our dna we are all born with this desire to belong somewhere to be known somewhere it's it's who we are as a people we need to find community and the fifth thing is this can i ask mary to come up and play as we as we close on this note. The fifth thing is this, is that we need to remember what Jesus can do in a moment. Remember what Jesus can do in a second. I want you to hear this today, that you cannot rely on your own strength to help you win the prize, but you can run to Jesus. And he's the only one who gives you strength. Hebrews 12, one through two says this, says, let us lay aside every weight 
and sin, which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. See, when you come to Jesus and you say yes, you're not going to be perfect right away. None of us are, right? We'll never, we never arrive in pursuing Jesus. But we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I'm giving you all that I have. I'm giving you, I'm giving you all the faith that I can bring to the table. I'm, I'm giving you all that I have. And would you work with it? Would you do something with it? Would you use it? Would you grow me and mature me? And speak to me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. We give everything to Jesus. And we can never forget what Jesus can do in a moment. Because when all seems like it's going downhill. When we feel like we're losing hope. Jesus, he'll step into the situation. And he'll change your life. He'll do something miraculous. That changes the course of your life. We serve a good God. We serve a good Savior. Who loves us. But we fix our eyes on Jesus. I think about Peter, who had the faith to say, Jesus, if it's you, then call me out onto the water with you. And Jesus says, come on out, Peter. So Peter, what does he do? He uses what faith he has. And he's, we give, we give Peter a hard time, right? We give Peter a hard time because he's a knucklehead. He does a lot of bad things in the Bible. But, but Peter's the only one in the boat with the faith to actually step out. Peter puts his legs out. And the Bible says he actually starts to walk on the water. Peter starts to walk on the water. And what does it say? That when he saw the waves and the wind around him, he began to sink. Peter said, Jesus, if it's you, then call me out. And Jesus said, it's me. Come on out. Peter says, okay, I'm giving, I'm giving you what faith I have. This is what I have, Jesus. And I'm sure at first he was like, holy smokes, I can't believe I'm doing this. Whoa. That was, that's cold out here. It's wet out here. Man, that's a big wave right there. And he begins to look at the things to his right and to his left. And he takes his, his eyes off of Jesus, who was the author of his faith. Jesus was the one who gave him the faith to step out of the boat in the first place. And he took his eyes off of Jesus. He didn't keep his eyes fixed on him. He began to sink because his eyes were on the things around him. And Jesus, what does Peter do? He says, Jesus, save me. Help me. And Jesus reaches down and picks him up and says, Oh, come on, Peter. You have such little faith. You're supposed to keep your eyes fixed on me. Because the faith that I began in you when you were sitting in the boat, I'm going to see it through. I'm going to finish it. Look, Peter, you're standing on the water with me right now. Just know this. When you say yes to Jesus and you step out of the boat and you start making decisions to pursue him, the difficult decisions, the decisions to die to yourself and to die to your desire desires and to start taking care of addictions and start taking care of relationships that need to be taken care of. And when you start doing that, it gets messy. It gets windy. It gets cold. It gets wet. And you can begin to worry. But Jesus is saying, listen, I will bring to completion what I began in you. If you keep your eyes fixed on me, remember the miracle that I can do in a moment. Remember what I can do in a moment. Can we stand together? I want to pray over you. Some of us might be here this morning and you're on the edge of giving up. Maybe you've, you've prayed for something with no answer. and Your faith is exhausted. And you need the Holy Spirit to refresh you and to give you new strength. Remember what Jesus said. This is, this is the scripture I want to leave you with. And I hope this permeates your heart. Let this saturate your soul. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. 
Jesus says, come to me if you're weary and you're burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, when you run a marathon, there's this, there's this point. You train and you train and you train, and there's this point where you give your body rest in preparation for the, ra- the race day. You're supposed to, you're supposed to give your, your legs rest before you go out and run the race. And Jesus, he says, listen, I want you to come and I want you to learn to rest in my presence. Learn to abide in me. Learn to come and fill yourself up in my presence. This is where you'll find true rest. Would you close your eyes? I want to give out this invitation. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, uh, and you don't know the person of Jesus. Or maybe you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And I don't want this to be... I don't want this to be an emotional moment for you. I, I hope that God is encountering your emotions right now. I hope that he's encountering you. But, but I think that God wants you to know that the cost is to pick up your cross and to follow me. But if you trust him in this, the cost doesn't even feel like the cost. It doesn't even feel like there's anything you're giving up because what he has for you is so much better. And maybe you've been walking around with this burden with this weight over your life and it's just been more than you can bear you've been praying for it you've been you've been asking God to intervene it just seems like it's not there's no breakthrough if you're here today you've never asked Jesus into your life and you want to say Jesus today I make you the Lord of my life I choose to get out of the boat and follow you to fix my eyes on you if that's you just raise your hand so I could pray with you anybody in the room raise your hand so I could pray with you Raise it high. Maybe you're in the back and I can't see you. Praise God. I want to, here, here's another thing I want to invite you to. If you're here and, and you just say, I, I, need, I need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to, to give me rest, to, to energize. I just, I just feel like I've been dry and weary. I need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Raise your hand so I could pray over you. Praise God. Everybody put your hands up in the air. Jesus, we invite you into this place. Holy Spirit, refresh us. Revive us. God, you, you ask us to come to you if, you if we're weary and we're burdened. And Father, there's some of us who are here today who feel weary. We're tired. We're burdened. Give us rest, Jesus. God, we can never forget what you can do in a moment, what you can do in this moment what you can do to revive us and refresh us. And Father, we choose to stay thankful. God, we prioritize getting healthy. We want to be present and understand that that every day is a gift that you're preparing us for the next season. God, we choose community. We choose family despite how difficult it is. And Father, we open up ourselves to this moment right here and ask for your Holy Spirit to refresh us. Just keep your hands up for a few seconds more. I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to Speak something to you. We invite you here, Jesus. We thank you for your presence filling us up. In your name we pray. Give us a fresh start. Amen. Amen. We love you, church.